All right. Well, welcome. Glad to be here with you guys today. I really want to say welcome to your happier new year, but we're not there yet, are we? <laughs> we still got a little over a day left until we'll be uh, celebrating a new year together. Uh, it's only a day and a half from now that we will be putting that proverbial bow on 20, 2018 and looking forward to 2019. And I don't know kind of what's going on for you personally or socially or in your work or in your family or with your friends, but this time of heading into a new year probably hits you in a different way for everybody in the room. That there might be some of you that are very eager and optimistic about what the next year will bring, and then there are others of you that are, are struggling a little bit with what 2019 is going to look like for you. Uh, now, 2018 was also very different for all of us, I'm sure. There was, for some of you, 2018 was one of the best years of your life, and for some of you, it's been a struggle. But I think for all of us, when we look, when we get to this season of the year, when we get to this time of the year, and we look forward to the calendar turning over to the next year, there is, there is this sense that even if there's going to be challenge in the year ahead, there's hope that maybe things will be different in the new year. Maybe there's going to be something new for me in the new year. So whether that's I'm struggling and I just need something to hold on to, I need that glimmer of hope for 2019, Maybe God's going to provide you that this morning, or maybe you go into it very excited and expectant and optimistic about what God has for you, and maybe God is going to provide a vision for you here in the next couple of days for what he has uh, just laid out for you in this upcoming year. So I'm praying for you that however you come in, you will leave this morning feeling like, okay, there's hope for something more than just what life will bring in 2019, that maybe we can get a hold of that together. Now, this series is an appropriate one when we kind of turn the calendar because a lot of the time what we do say is, well, I hope this year is happier than the last. We're hoping that the upcoming year is one that is filled with excitement and joy and, and hope and happiness. And so we're all looking for that. We're all very familiar with that pursuit of wanting to be happy. The idea of pursuing happiness is not just a New Year's thing, though, is it? I mean, we... We know about pursuing happiness beyond just when the calendar turns. Uh, I actually, in preparation for this message, decided to go and look on Amazon for some help, thinking, well, maybe I can find a book or two that might tell me how I could be happy in 2019. And you probably will not be surprised to hear that when I searched for books on happiness on Amazon, it came back with over 6,000 results. So 6,000 books that are available out there that could teach me what it's like to go after happiness and find happiness. So yeah, there's plenty of people wanting to weigh in on this idea of the pursuit of happiness. There's plenty of people writing about it. And if you think about it, our nation was even founded on this pursuit. That that's part of why this nation was founded, is that we wanted the opportunity to have the right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That was really important to our founding fathers. So regardless of what level to which we have attained happiness, we're all familiar with the pursuit that ideally we would like to be happy. We're all trying to find happiness, but it doesn't take very long to figure out that it can be a little bit elusive, can't it? The things that we possess provide momentary happiness, but then pretty soon the excitement of that new thing wears off and that happiness is gone with it. That's because the things are really not the true source of happiness. And maybe some of you in this room have discovered that already. The truth is that if you really want to have a happier new year, no thing 
can make you happy. Nothing can make you happy, but, or no thing can make you happy. The path to happiness begins with who, not what. It begins with who, not what. And Jesus stated this very clearly in Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked, what's the best way to live? What's most important? What do we need to focus on? This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. In other words, you need to be invested in your relationship with God. That needs to be your first and most important relationship. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So have a relationship with God, a healthy, strong, growing relationship with God, and that will influence your relationships with others so that you can love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. So it's love God, love others, love me. Love God, love others, love me. When we are hitting on those three cylinders, then we are living the good life, the happy life. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, live like I do. Follow my example. What's important to Jesus should be the thing that's most important to us as well. In this statement, Jesus says, who is much more important than what? God, your neighbor, even yourself, this is very important. This is what we need to be focused on every year, but definitely as we go into 2019. And think about it this way. Think about that group of friends, or maybe it's even family members for you, that when you spend time with them, time just kind of stands still, right? You don't have to have a plan. You just know when we get together, it's going to be fun. We're going to enjoy our time together when I get together with those people. Because who is much more important than what? I just had, we have had a number of Christmas parties over the last few weeks. And we just had our last one that ended last night, which was my family coming up. So my brother and my sister, they came to our house and we had our family Christmas party. So when we do that, there's a lot of kids that are involved because we bring four into the equation ourselves. My wife and I, we have four kids. And then we have my brother's family. They have three girls, the oldest of which now is 17 years old. She'll actually be 18 on January 5th. So very soon she'll be 18. And then the, the, the girls are all teenage years. And then my sister has two boys and they're also teenage years. One that's ninth grade, the other is in 12th grade. And so we were all at the house together for a couple of days. And when we get all three of our families together, it's so rare that it happens. But when we do that and we can have an extended period of time together, we don't really have to plan anything. We just kind of hang out, you know, so you might come to me and be like, hey, you had your family up. What did you guys do? We just kind of hung out, you know, like we stayed at the house. We had fun together because the what is way less important to us than the who. As a matter of fact, I was thinking uh, this when we were together this weekend that this was illustrated pretty clearly for me in a particular moment over the course of the weekend. How many of you guys are familiar with the old computer game called the Oregon Trail? Any of you guys play the Oregon Trail growing up? I didn't. My wife did. So when she was uh, out shopping for Christmas presents, she saw that they now have a card game version of the Oregon Trail. And she was super excited about it. And all the rest of us were like clueless about what it was, but she was excited. So while we had all the family together, I was like, let's play. We're going to play the Oregon Trail. And so it took us a while to figure out how everything works. But essentially the idea is you are travelers together on the Oregon Trail and you're trying to get from Independence, Missouri to the Willamette Valley in Oregon. And most of the time you die. 
<laughs> like, that's the reality. And it even says that in the instructions. Just be prepared for the fact you will not win this game very often. But there is no individual winners in the game. It's just, can we make it from here to there without our entire party passing away en route? Like, that's the goal of the game. And when you get to the end of the game, if you are the first person out, which I happen to be the first time we played, if you're the first person out, then you get the joy of writing the epitaphs. <laughs> like, there's, there's tombstones on the back of the paper, and you get to write out the epitaphs. Now, most of you in this room are like, that's sick. I'm not, I don't want to write epitaphs, but this created a source of great joy for me. And uh, I really, really had a lot of fun with it. So thankfully, that first time, I was out first, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to write these epitaphs, and if, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So maybe a few of you saw my Facebook post this week, but I just wanted to review for you how we died. I actually died of a snake bite, so my epitaph was, here lies Matt, got bit by a snake and fell down flat. Okay, (laughs) not my best work, but work with me here. And then my wife died next, Laurie, so hers was, uh, she died of dysentery, which sounds like a terrible way to go, I'm going to be honest with you. And hers was, here lies Laurie, ate some bad meat and now she's sorry. Dylan also died of dysentery, and his says, here lies Dylan. Now, Dylan is hard to rhyme with. Here lies Dylan, got the stinks, and now a hole he's filling. Okay, so that's, that's what I did there. And then the last one was uh, Kenzie. She actually died while trying to make her way across the river. She drowned, and so hers, it's really impossible to rhyme with Kenzie, so I just said Kenny instead, <laughs> which is not her name, but... It said, here lies Kenny, she just spent her lucky penny. And so those, those were my epitaphs. But what then happened is every time we played, everybody was hopeful I would die first because they wanted me writing the epitaphs. So all weekend I'm writing epitaphs. And I just thought to myself at one point, who would have thought that, that, that my Christmas family get-together, my primary contribution would be writing epitaphs for my nieces, nephews, and children. <laughs> like that that would really be the thing that I would be doing. But that's kind of the point is that when you get together with family, it's not really important what you're doing because when you're together with people that you love and you care about, for me, that was family this weekend. But for you, it might be a group of friends that you just really connect with, that when you get together with them, it's so much more important that who is there, the who that is there, as opposed to what it is that you're actually doing. And this is something that Jesus was trying to get across to us with this, uh, with this teaching that he gave us, is that the who is so much more important than the what. You have to be invested in the right relationships before you worry about what it is that you have or what it is that you're doing. And this is important to recognize, not only because that is true, but the opposite is also true. When we focus more on the what and not the who, that actually leads to unhappiness. Okay, so when we focus on the who, that leads us to happiness, real, true, fulfilling happiness. When we focus on the what, it brings happiness temporarily, but then that is quickly fleeting. It goes away very quickly. Uh, So when we focus on the what, it actually leads to unhappiness. When we focus on the accumulation of the stuff and we start filling our lives with all of the stuff that we think will make us happy, it's like we saw in that bumper video, right? All of stuff is going into the box. And that you might feel that this time of year. If you have kids and you're giving them the gifts, everything is going in the box. Like, oh, look at all this great stuff. But when we focus only on the stuff, eventually the bottom falls out. 
right? I mean, all of those things that we think provide us happiness, the bottom falls out of that box, and all of a sudden we're empty again. And we felt like we were going somewhere because we were accumulating stuff. And all of a sudden you come up against a roadblock where you realize that stuff is just not cutting it anymore. The what is not nearly as important as the who. For some of you, you fill your life with hard work and climbing the ladder of your vocation. And I am not faulting you for doing that. I am glad that you are working hard towards something that you have, uh, that you desire to, you have aspirations in the work that you do. And that's good. But I can tell you this, if that is what you are dependent on for your happiness, eventually the bottom's going to fall out. And you may get to that place that you desire. You may even find the success that you are really hoping for, only to get there and realize you still feel empty because you failed to invest in the relationships that you needed to invest in. And you feel like you had very little quality time with the people that you love. For some of you, you're filling your house with stuff, whether it's video games or sports equipment or clothes or whatever it is, and you find that the thrill of owning that is great in the moment, but then it dissipates very quickly. You may fill your friendships with surface, uh, you may fill your, your life with friendships that are just on the surface level. You know, fill your life with all kinds of friends so that you feel like, oh, I'm needed and valued and loved, but you never let anybody beyond that surface level. You're just acquaintances with everybody, but you you don't ever let anybody in deeper. You never let anyone below the surface. And because of this, you're surrounded by friends, but you're also incredibly lonely. Some of you are living vicariously through your kids. You sign them up for every sport or club or activity that is possible out there, and you run yourself ragged getting them from place to place to place to place to place to make sure they get to all of the places that they have to go so they have every opportunity that you didn't have. And then eventually you get to the point where you've run them ragged and they're no longer inspired to do the things that you're trying to provide for them to do. And you feel depressed because you're like, I've spent all of this time and energy and money trying to make sure they can have every opportunity and now they don't even want to do the thing I've been pushing them to do. And some of you want to so badly be accepted by your peers that everything you say or do or purchase, you do it with the thought of, what will my friends think about what I have? You're so focused on that. And it brings you this momentary, temporary high when you are able to show something to a friend that you're hoping that they will be impressed with. And maybe for a moment that helps you feel good, but then very quickly that dissipates when the next thing comes along that you just have to have. You're going to find out that there's always someone that has more than you or dresses better than you or has a higher level of income than you and you're not going to be able to measure up. And all of that, all of those pursuits are meaningless. Because even if they provide some level of temporary happiness, they leave you unhappy. They leave you defeated. Because anything that promises happiness but wears off once you have it for a while, it didn't really bring you you happiness. It really was just a short-term fix. That's what it was. You were marketed into it. That's not actual happiness. Because true happiness is not fleeting. I know this to be true because I've met some rich people who were miserable just terribly miserable people. And yet I've also met other people that had nothing. And yet the smile never left their face. They were thankful for every breath that they took. Maybe you know some people like that too. Because happiness doesn't depend on what. It depends on who. It depends on who. You know, at the end of your life, you will likely have relational regrets, not possessional regrets. 
You won't get to that moment and think, oh man, I really wish I would have had season tickets to the Caps. I mean, I'm wishing that right now. But when I get there, that probably won't be the most important thing to me. No, the things you'll be thinking about is, man, I wish I would have spent more time with that person. I wish I would have had that conversation. Or you might even be thinking about, I wonder who I'm going to meet on the other side. I wish I would have invested more time in my relationship with God so that I was more familiar with him and more excited about the transition I'm about to make. And we, we get to the end of our lives and suddenly we recognize what Jesus has been teaching us all along is that the who is much more important than the what. You won't care about your car, your house, or your money, but you may have regrets associated with maybe kids that never heard you say, I love you. Or maybe you never said that to your parents as often as you should. Or that maybe you didn't have the kind of relationships with family that you even felt comfortable engaging in those kinds of conversations. So what Jesus is really pointing out in Matthew 22 is that relationally disconnected people just aren't happy. It's hard to live the good life when you are completely disconnected in relationship from God, with God and with other people. And that's not just something that the Bible teaches. That's science. The Scientific American released an article in 2013 that actually said that we are built to connect socially. And when we don't, it damages our ability to function. I mean, I have a hard enough time functioning as it is. Can you imagine how bad I'd be if I didn't have relationships? If I wasn't invested in relationship with other people? I already have limited brain function. And maybe some of you feel the same way. Like, man, without relationships, I'd really be limited. That would really be a struggle. As it turns out, loan works for wolves. It does not work for you. Now, I can already hear your response forming. For some of you in the room, you're immediately thinking, no, you're wrong. I can do this on my own. I'm better off alone. I've been hurt by people in the past. I'm, I'm better when I am just on my own. I'm happier by myself. Not me. I don't need anybody else. I'm happier on my own. And if you feel that way, my guess is that you probably fall into one of two different categories. The first is you've always had relational options. There's just always been friends and family available to you that care for you and offer relationship to you. And because you've never lacked for friendship and human connection, you don't really know what true isolation feels like. And so you think, what I really want is just to be alone. If I could just be alone, I'd be happier on my own. But you think that because you've never really experienced what true isolation feels like. And I would caution you, if that is you, you're somebody that is surrounded by people that care about you, but you are pushing them further and further and further away because you think that somehow, if you could just be by yourself, life would be so much better. I want to caution you that you may eventually find the isolation that you're looking for. And when you get there, it will not be as pleasing as you think that it will be. You'll find yourself in that moment suddenly longing for the relationships that you have been pushing away and pushing away and pushing away. You'll find that true isolation. And then you will be saying, wait, I need those relationships back. Where are all of the people that used to care for me? Well, if you keep pushing them away and away and away, you may eventually find that isolation that you're looking for. And the same thing in a relationship with God. 
You, you may be somebody that's, that would say, yeah, I do have a relationship with God. Or at one point I did have a relationship with God, but he didn't meet my needs the way I expected him to. He didn't provide for me in the way that I expected him to. And so you started pushing him away and pushing him away and pushing him away and pushing him away. And maybe you're now at a place where you're like, man, I've been pushing him away for so long. It's hard for me to hear him calling me. And when you get to that place, it suddenly becomes this realization of like, wow, now I'm having a hard time knowing how to find a way back to him because I've been pushing him away for so long. So that might be you, group number one. You've always had relational options, so you don't really know what true isolation feels like. But you also might belong to a second group, and that is that you know you're lonely, but you don't know how to address it. You don't know what to do about it. You don't know how to fix it. So instead of doing the real hard work of making yourself open and vulnerable to other people, make yourself open and vulnerable to God. Instead, you've chosen to say, no, I'm fine. I just don't need anybody else. And you figure, I don't need it. I'm better off alone. And that's your defense mechanism. That's how you cope with your isolation. You don't know how to fix it. So you've just convinced yourself you're better off alone. But whether it's your abundance of relationships or your lack of them that has you in isolation or has you convinced that you are better off on your own, let me assure you that you are not. Why? Because no thing, no thing can make us happy. It's all about who, it's not about what. When we read what Jesus said is important in Matthew 22, he said, it's who, not what. When Jesus talks about who and how we love, one of the principles he is stating very clearly is this, be at peace with God, with others, and with yourself. Be at peace with God, with others, and with yourself. All three of those are critical. Be at peace with God, with others, and with yourself. And I think that Jesus is saying that this is at the core of who he created us to be. This is what it looks like to be at our best. I mean, think about it this way. It kind of sounds like Jesus wants you to be happy, right? So if you are unhappy, that's not what Jesus had in mind for you. He wants you to be happy. And so he's laid out this plan for you to be happy. Doesn't mean that life is always easy. Life is always joyful. But what it means is that no matter what you go through, you have hope because of your relationship with him. And when you focus on your relationship with him, it influences your relationship with others. It influences the way you see yourself. You know, when I see people that are happy, actually long-term happy, they're at peace with God. They're at peace with others. They're at peace with themselves. You know some of those people, like I mentioned before, they may be rich or they may be poor, but they are happy. They could be married or single or divorced, but they have actual happiness. I'm sure you've met some people like this, that they are the people that you are more worried about their situation than they are. You're looking at their life going, shouldn't you be freaking out right now? And they're just able to smile through even life's toughest circumstances because they've found the secret to true happiness. Pay attention to their lives and here's what you'll find. Happy people are not at war with themselves. They aren't trying to be something that they're not. They're just at peace with who they are and who God has created them to be. And you know what else? They're at peace with other people. They're at peace with the people around them. They aren't bitter. They're not harboring unforgiveness. They don't churn their insides trying to get even or trying to find a way to get back or make sure they know they're right. They're not worried about getting paid back for something. When they are wronged, they forgive and they move on. And you'll notice this too, that happy people often are happy because they've lived great lives. That's part of it. But happy people are also happy because they've had pain. I know that doesn't 
sound like it makes a lot of sense, but let me explain. They're happy that they've been through pain because only when you've been through pain can you understand what happiness really feels like. If you never go through the tough times, it's hard to appreciate what you have in those happy moments. And not just that, but we reckon when you, when you are a happy person, when that is your outlook, when you've invested in your relationship with God, with others, with yourself, when you're happy with who you are, you recognize that the pain also builds character in your life. That only when you go through those seasons of challenge can you really discover who it is that God has designed you to be. That he can build your character during those tough seasons. They're happy because they're at peace no matter what the circumstance. And I do believe that the greatest source for this peace is in a relationship with God. That that's really where it starts. You have to have that relationship with God first. It takes root in a relationship with God. A happy life takes root in a relationship with God. That's why Jesus said it's most important to love God and love others in that order. It needs to happen that way because you can only love others to the level at which you have received God's love for yourself. You can only love others to the level at which you have received God's love for yourself. And again, this is not just the Bible that teaches this. Harvard University, over 75 years ago, this is one of the longest ongoing research projects on human development that there is, they endeavored to find out what truly makes a happy life by following the lives of over 700 Boston area men. Now, of those over 700 that started, there are still 60 that are still alive and actively engaged in the project. And the ownership of this project has changed hands a few times over the years, but it's, it's always been with Harvard. And currently, the guy that is the head of this program is Robert Waldinger. He's the professor in charge of the project. And I had the chance to watch his TEDx talk, just a 10-minute talk on the subject, because I wanted to know, what did you discover about what makes a happy life? And here's what they figured out. The secret to a happy life was relationships. Half of their participants were Harvard men. Half were from the slums of Boston. And regardless of their social status, the ones that were still happy as they got older had meaningful relationships with friends and family that they knew that they could depend on. And so in a sentence, Robert's research brought him to this, uh, this piece of advice, is that the good life is built on good relationships. The good life is built on good relationships. This is exactly what Jesus is telling us here in the Bible as it was written down over 2,000 years ago that the good life is built on good relationships. Invest in the relationship you have with God. Invest in the relationships you have with others. Be, in, explore who God has made you to be. Allow God to build your relationship with him. This ancient book is teaching us the same thing that we learned through this research project and through so much other study that's out there is that everything hangs on these core principles that you have to invest in relationships. And for, and for us at Daybreak, we would say the most important relationship you need to invest in is your relationship with God. And then you can allow that to influence your relationship with others. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says it this way, that God set eternity in the human heart. In other words, we're naturally wired to long for our relationship with our creator. That's who we are. And when we find peace with him, it leads us to peace with others. It leads to the good life, the happy life. Now then, there is a correlated truth though here is that anything or behavior that undermines peace in any of those relationships also undermines your happiness. So the implication is this, Decisions you are making now have the potential to rob you of happiness later. In other words, if you want to be happy in the long run, you have to start making decisions in the present that will lead you into the future that God has designed for you. But the reverse is also true. 
If you make decisions now that lead you to isolation, separating yourself from God and from others, it will lead you to a future of regret and unhappiness. So if peace with God actually provides the way to happiness, when you resist God, you are resisting the way to happiness. If Jesus actually showed us the way to live a happier life, but we are resisting following Jesus, then we are resisting that happy life that he offers. Listen, this is really important. Your present will eventually be your past, which is either going to benefit you or bite you down the road. So maybe you're worried about your future job or how much money you're going to make or just how you can get out from under your parents' roof. I get that. It's where you are. But I want you to understand, your current purchases won't haunt you in the future. But what might is your current relational decisions. If you make the decision now to withdraw from relationships in order to pursue anything that is out there, you, you will come to regret those decisions later on. Now, the way God talks about decisions that undermine our peace with God or with others or with ourselves is a term called sin. Now, most of you are probably familiar with the idea of sin, but here's what sin does. Let's make it very simple. It separates. Sin separates. Sin separates. And it can separate us from relationships with people that we love right here walking the earth with us, or it can separate us from God. Now, maybe you don't have a firm understanding of all of the rules, of what's okay and not okay and, and what's not okay. Maybe you don't have an idea of everything and how it all works and whether it's sin and whether it's not. But I think we can all agree that when we know there, there are things in life that we just know are wrong. There's things that we know that's a line that I should not cross. And when we do it anyway, when we have a sense that something is wrong to do it and then we do it anyway, it separates us. And so that happens in the context of relationships with other people, and it certainly happens with God. It separates us, whether it's in a previous marriage or it's at work or at school. That person who lied to you or betrayed you in some way, it becomes very hard to have any kind of a relationship with them. You just want to distance, distance yourself from them. You want to be separate from them. Some of you are sitting here today and you're uncomfortable because you have some of those regrets in your past and you've been trying not to deal with it and you've just been separating yourself from that person or from that phase of life that you were in. And God is bringing that to the surface today because he wants to help you have healthy relationships. He doesn't want to leave that separated. He wants to deal with your sin for you and open you up not only to a strong relationship with him, but he wants to, to restore some relationships with the people around you. And some of you might be thinking it's just a little thing. It's not a big deal. It's not a big sin. But sin on any level, decisions, well, decisions that are sinful will lead us away from God. Big, small, it doesn't matter. And little lies break trust and erode late relationships. And eventually, the little separations become big separations. Eventually, you're separated from that person that you thought, oh, it's just a small thing. And now you find yourself no longer even in friendship or engaged with that person at all. You won't be at peace with them, you won't be at peace with yourself, and you certainly won't be at peace with God. So what can you do? Well, here's something that I've discovered, and that any of you in this room who follow Jesus have discovered, is that when we decide to fully trust in Jesus to forgive our past and lead our future, we find this simple, fundamental truth to be a guide for our lives, and it's this. Peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves, and enables us to make peace with others. Peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves and enables us to make peace with others. So is your, your life marked by separation right now? 
Well, invest in the relationship that matters most today. Bridge that gap first. If you're separated from God because of your sin, invite Jesus to deal with your sin for you. Invite him to forgive you of your sin because when he takes away the sin, he takes away the separation. And where there used to be distance between you and God, you are suddenly there face to face. Once the sin has been dealt with, you can go into, you can have that kind of a relationship with God where he is there for you, investing in you and allows you to make peace with yourself and who you are and then allows you to make peace with those around you. At the core of who we are, Jesus is giving us the way to having a happier new year. Now, I don't know about you, and it might be just, you know, kind of a phase of life thing, but I can remember when I was in high school. Maybe there's a few of you that are, that are in high school that are here today, or maybe you're not far removed from that time period. But I can remember when I was in high school, I felt like the happy life was the stuff I did without God, and then the unhappy life was whatever I had to do to make him happy. You know, it felt like sometimes God was actually in the way of my happiness. He wasn't the source of my happiness. I thought that he was in the way of my happiness. And I've discovered now that what I thought to be true was absolutely not true. The fact that I did often make decisions that kept me aligned in my relationship with God, at times in my coming up, that was a frustration to me. I felt like friends are having fun and I'm not having fun because I'm making these decisions instead. I'm doing some of these things that God has asked me to do. And right now it doesn't feel fair because it feels like everybody else is having all the fun. And now I'm able to look back and I recognize that in those moments where I was doing some of the things that God was instructing me to do, instead of just going off and doing and having the fun that I thought I wanted to have, God saved me from some really desperate situations. He saved me from a lot of separation. He saved me from a lot of bad choices that would have led me to a very different path. And so I can recognize now that God is not in the way of my happy life. God is actually the provision for my happy life. That if you truly want to be happy, then you need to find a relationship with God. You need to be connected intimately with him because he is not in the way of your happiness. He is there to provide your happiness. And once you have that connection with him, he will improve your relationship with yourself. He will help you to improve the relationships with the people around you. So some of you thought you could either be a good Christian or be happy, but I'm telling you, you can be both. You can be both. The truth is that the good life, the happy life, it's one that values relationships. And the most important relationship is the one between you and your creator. So fully trust God. That's going to go a long way to making peace with yourself. And once you find that peace with your, yourself through that relationship with God, you'll find it easier to be at peace with others. Jesus' advice reminds us that happiness is more about who than it is about what. It's about being at peace. And the best way to be at peace is to start with God, to start with following Jesus. See, Jesus came to establish peace between you and God by taking all of your sin, forgiving it, bearing it in the deepest ocean. He came to forgive you so that sin would no longer separate you from God. And maybe that's where you need to start today. That you need to start by trusting Jesus enough to tell him, I want to follow you. I trust you that you have a path that leads to true happiness instead of the path that I've been on. That will make you happy, and that will lead you into a happier new year. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you, and I thank you that we have the opportunity for new starts, 
New Year's always feel like that for me. We have a fresh start, a, a chance to make things new, make new decisions, treat each other differently, uh, maybe make some, some good choices habit-wise. We, we look at our New Year's that way. But God, this morning is a unique opportunity for us to not think about what are the resolutions that I need to make, but instead to just say, Jesus, I want to be connected to you. Jesus, I need you to forgive my sin. I want to have my relationship with God either initiated, connected for the first time, or I want to return to him after a long absence. So for every person in this room, in this moment, God, help us to know how to allow our hearts to respond to you in this moment. Help us to respond to you in this moment to say, yes, I want to be close to you and not separated from you. And once I am connected to you, I need you to do a work in me and how I view myself. And I need you to do a work in me in the way that I relate to the people around me. Thank you, God, that this can be our first step closer to you and our first step into a happier new year. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.